Well, it's, um, it's good to see everybody here, uh, especially if you're here for the confirmation service. Uh, we welcome you into our community and hope that you enjoy uh, this time to sh celebrate uh, with your family and friends, um, members of your family who are being confirmed today. Um, you know, we're in this place, this, this room here for I don't know how long, probably through the summer. As you can tell, they're renovating the church, and so um, it's still in progress. And so as we continue to serve and worship together, just kind of know that this is where we'll be for the next at least a couple months. Um, but it's not too bad. Um, I can hear people sing. Um, you know, it's cozy, and you know, they got fans and air conditioning, so it's good. Anyways, uh, today uh, I'm taking a break from our normal commitment to, I mean, our normal series on, on um, light and how we engage the world and, and then going forward through the summer. Taking a break this week and next week to kind of cover a few things. But today is uh, a dedication to our members uh, and to their children for a confirmation, what we call a confirmation service. They were baptized as infants. And um, it's one of the things that uh, the Presbyterian Church does, our denomination does, and basically baptism, infant baptism, is a sign and seal of God's promises. Now basically this means that it, it doesn't mean you're automatically made a Christian just because you were baptized as, a, as an infant. It doesn't mean that somehow you are magically saved because someone sprinkled water on you when you were a little baby. But what it practically means is that that child now belongs to the family of God. Much like circumcision in the Old Testament meant that they belonged to the family of Israel, so too now baptism and infant baptism represents that, that they belong to a covenant community. Uh, and, and while they're part of that community, why they belong to believing parents, they're to receive nurture, care, even blessings that their family or the church community has to offer. And that is happening, or that happens first through parents, but it also happens through teachers, it, it happens through pastors, even regular members of the church to help grow, nurture, to instruct, uh, to discipline um, our children in the faith, to do the things for you that you can't do for yourself in hopes that it would nurture a genuine God-given faith. I'm dedicating this sermon, it's gonna be a short sermon, and to be honest, the passage that was just read, I'm not gonna be able to do justice to it. That's not my ultimate focus today, but it's really focused uh, on our children and particularly Joshua and, and Lindsay. And so I, I'm gonna preach to them and I wanna ask them two questions and ask you a couple of questions. Those of us who are already confirmed or already uh, sure of our faith. First question is this, how'd you get here? How did you get here? Uh, to those being confirmed, uh, Joshua and Lindsay, and to the rest of us who have already been through this, how did you get here today? And I'm not talking about uh, the car that you rode in or uh, what you did this morning or this afternoon to get ready to come to church. Um, but here, this point in your life, how'd you get here? This point where you will make your own confession, where nobody's going to do that for you except you, where you decide uh, to, be, to begin to take responsibility for your own faith. Hold on, I think there's a little bit of... And so the question I'm asking is, how did we get here today? And 
You know, like in many of the branch students, when you ask them a question, the answer is always Jesus. If you don't know, just say Jesus, right? Uh, in, in a sense, it's true, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ, that by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, who gave his life for you, paid your debt of sin, he's made you his very own, and that's how you got here. Sir, that's, that's, a, that's a theologically correct answer. But I, I want you to think about this. Think about the people in your life. Uh, think about the people in your life that helped you to get here today. Think about those people that God has used to uh, bring you here to this point in your life. Some of those people are here with you today. Your family, your, your mother, your father, who dragged you to church even though you were so resistant and found it so boring. Maybe it's a brother or a sister, an aunt or, or an uncle. Maybe it's Sunday school teachers, youth group teachers, pastors, and even members of the church. In fact, everyone in this room is here today because there were people in our lives who helped us on our faith journeys. And, and that means not only should we take time today to, to give God thanks for what he's done for us in Jesus Christ, but it's also to give God thanks for those people in our lives who he has used to bring us here to this point today. You know, oftentimes I get the question, you know, later on when we question our faith, how do I know I'm really a Christian? Because the only reason I'm a Christian is because I was born in a Christian home and I just happened to be born to Christian parents. You know, and that's not a problem for me. The problem with that question is you're assuming that things just happen, that this is just an accident, that it was a chance that you happened to be born in the United States and happened to be born in, in, in a Christian home. And the Muslim in Afghanistan and the Buddhist in China is probably asking the same question. How do I know I'm just a Buddhist because I happen to be in China and happen to be born to Buddhist parents? It doesn't mean that your faith is wrong, right? But if you believe in God, then nothing just happens. That if there is a God in this world, that means that he's in control of your life and he's deliberately given you parents who believe. He's deliberately put you in a family that believes. And it's just one of the ways, one of the ways in which he brings people to faith. And there are other ways, but the family is one, okay? And so I get the question, but that's, that's how you got here today, through God and through his people. Now, the second question I want to ask you today is this, why are you here? Joshua, Lindsay, you can look at me. It's all right. <laughs> Their heads are down. This is not a funeral service, okay? <laughs> this, 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 is a, this is a confirmation. You're supposed to be happy, all right? Uh, why, why, what are we here for, right? And of course, every Sunday we're here to worship, but today we're here to witness not infant baptism, but a confirmation. And I'm going to be very honest. There's nothing in the Bible that says we've got to do a confirmation. Uh, but it's something of a tradition to affirm the faith of our children. And what exactly is this? You know, um, I don't know if you guys know this, but I think I baptized both of you uh, when you were infants. And that either means I'm, I've been too long in this church or you've been too long in this church, right? I remember Lindsay coming off the plane, you know, cute little girl, quiet, very, seems very, you know, no problems, just wonderful. And still today, even though she's got a little sass, uh, if you've talked to her one-on-one, -on -one, you find that. I remember Joshua, when he was much smaller, he's more taller, but much smaller, full of energy, running around all the time. I also remember a lot of crying. Uh, but that was a long time ago, right? Confirmation means you're not a baby anymore. You're not an infant anymore. 
that you've come to a point in your life where you're ready to acknowledge for yourself, not for your parents, not for your family, not for anybody but yourself, you're going to publicly claim your faith for yourself in front of all these people. That's a brave thing to do. There are adults in this congregation who are afraid to do this in front of all these people, right? And basically, you're going to confess your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you trust in him, that by his grace, you've been brought into the family of faith, and that by his grace, you're going to strive to follow him. You know what that is? It's called a commitment. And that's what we're here for today. That's what you're here for today. You're essentially making today a commitment. A commitment. That's what confirmation really is. Sometimes people come to Jesus or to church and they just want to be involved. They want to be involved a little. But there's a, there's a big difference between being involved and being committed. Former women's tennis great Martina Navratilova explains the difference this way. She says this, quote, the difference between involvement and commitment is like ham and eggs. The chicken is involved, but the pig is committed. Did you get that? The chicken lays the egg but walks away. But the, anyways, okay. The chicken is involved, the pig is committed, end quote. And I think we all need to remind ourselves that Jesus doesn't just call people to just get involved a little bit with his church on their terms and at their convenience. And he doesn't just want followers who will only join him when they want something or need something but then choose to go their own way whenever it seems easier or, or more convenient. He doesn't want chicken, he wants pig. He wants a living for Jesus when the way is easy, but he also wants when the way is hard. He wants followers, not just when it's exciting, but also when it seems boring. And I'm gonna be very honest, church is boring sometimes. He wants a commitment, not just when you're comfortable with it, but even when it might even lead to some suffering. And I think this is the greatest challenge for all of us who claim to be Christian. Because it's not always easy to make that kind of commitment. And I think that's one of the points in our passage today. Just to cut to the chase, you have these Pharisees and Herodians, religious leaders, and they're questioning Jesus, and they're really trying to trap him, and they ask him this question to test him. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, or should we not? Should we pay them, or should we not, Jesus? And it's a trick question, because Jews hated paying taxes, like many of us today. Because it was a reminder when they pay taxes that they were under the government of Rome, the tyranny of Rome, and they hated that. So if Jesus says, yes, you should pay taxes, you're a supporter of Rome. You're like a tax collector, a traitor to your own people. But if Jesus says, no, you shouldn't pay taxes, you don't have to give taxes to, to Caesar in Rome, then you're an insurrectionist. You're a political rebel and the Herodians were going to go after him. It was a trick question. So what does Jesus say? Well, in our passage, he says to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a coin and let me look at it. He takes this coin, and on this coin, there's a likeness and an inscription. He says, whose likeness, whose inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he says this famous words in verse 17, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but give to God the things that are God's. What, what does that mean? 
And if you knew anything about the denarius, that coin, the inscription there, do you know what it says? It says, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus in Latin. It means that there's a picture of some guy there named Caesar who claimed to be God. And in the eyes of Jewish people, that was idolatrous. It was heresy that the Caesar of Rome was God. And yet they want to believe in the God of the Bible. The God of Rome or the God of Bible. Which one is it? And I know some of you are thinking right now, that's irrelevant to me because I only believe in one God of the Bible anyway. Or some of you are sitting here thinking, well, that's irrelevant to me because I don't believe in any God at all. And maybe that's true for you. But let me just suggest to you this, that whether you believe in one God or many gods or you don't believe in any God, we all have gods. We all have false gods or what the Bible might call idols. Maybe you don't worship a deity of some sort, some supernatural being of some sort, but we live for something. We, we worship, in a sense, something or someone. We praise, we talk about things that we love and that we live for, and those things oftentimes they influence us, they control us, they affect us, and we work really hard serving them to gain whatever blessing or to maintain whatever benefit we can get from them. That's your God. Whether it's money, material wealth, whether it's work, whether it's relationships, whether it's, it's children. Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. Caesar and Rome, that's the world. That's the things in it. That's where we all participate in. And then there's God and, and, and his world, the, the kingdom, he says, or the Bible says, his church in which we also participate in. So when Jesus says, give to Caesar his things, but give to God his things, maybe he means this. Maybe he's deliberately being polarizing. And he's asking us the question, which one is more important to you? Which one will you be more committed to? Because practically speaking, sometimes you have to make a choice between Caesar and God or the world and the church. And I think this can be a legitimate interpretation of this passage because as people who live in the world and go to church, it requires us sometimes to ask the same question once in a while, to make a choice. Guys, if I have any advice for you as you get older, and you go to college and high school, and you learn all these different things and hear all these different things, just one advice. Go to church. A good church. It doesn't have to be our church. A good church. If you're going to doubt, doubt in church. If you're going to question, question in church. If you're going to rebel, rebel in church. Because it's the place where I think there may be an opportunity to work those things out. But to be honest, even that's not easy, is it? After today, after you get confirmed, there's still going to be a lot of options out there in the world that will pull you from the things of God. You and I, if you don't know this, the, the world that I lived in and, and the world that our kids live in are very different. It's very different. Um, in many ways, I think it's more of a challenge in some ways to be a Christian today than it was when I was their age. And part of the struggle is this. You've got a lot more options, especially on a Sunday. You know, when you were younger, when I was younger, you kind of felt like you had to go to church because your parents went to church, or be, even though you didn't really want to. But there are many options you could have rather done. You could have just slept in. 
You could have just stayed home, do homework. You could go shopping on a Sunday. You could, you could play sports on a Sunday. You could do whatever. And you might try to go to church like good little boys and girls do, but if that's your reason, it's not going to last. Because here's the truth, and I'm going to be very honest. Giving to God what is God's sounds nice, but I've got to say, giving to Caesar what is Caesar's can often be a lot more fun. A lot more fun. If you're looking for great music, you can listen to your Spotify account or your iTunes account or even the radio, and they will always have something that sounds better than the church music. No offense, Abe. I mean, if you're looking for an entertaining sermon, you can watch TV and movies, and it will always be more appealing. If you're looking for food that tastes better than bread and wine or, or crackers and, and grape juice, any restaurant is better. If you're looking for fun youth events, you know, the YMCA, the community center, your school, even the mall can do a better job than the church. I mean, I'm very honest. I want to be cool, okay? But the fact is, the church is just not as cool as the world. And sometimes God's stuff is not as cool as Caesar's stuff. And that means that the church will never be entertaining enough to make you come. And guilt will never be enough to get you out of bed on Sunday. And being a regular church member, which is basic, is something you're going to have to want to do. So what's going to bring us to church? Sorry. What ought to make us want to be here? What ought to make us, maybe for some of us, start being here? Or for some of us, come back here. Here's the thing about our passage. Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And then before that, he says this in verse 16. He said to them, whose likeness or inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Whose likeness is on that coin? To put it in other words, whose image is on that coin? And they said it was Caesar's picture. It's his image. And then he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's. And I think what Jesus is trying to say here is that you give the tax or you give the coin to Caesar because it bears his image. So when Jesus says, give to God what is God's, what is he exactly saying you are to give? You are to give you. You give you because you bear the image of a living God. You are made in the image of God, and that's all the difference in the world. I don't think Jesus is saying movies and TV and food and music and sports and shopping are bad. These things are good in and of themselves, and God gives them to us in this world for our pleasure, for our enjoyment, for his glory and thanksgiving. I don't think he's even saying paying taxes are bad because after all, paying taxes can bring better roads, better infrastructure, better schools even. Jesus is not trying to pit the world versus God or the church versus the world because after all, God is the creator of all things and every good and perfect thing comes from him. But all of those things at the end of the day are just things we do. Things we enjoy, things we participate out there in the world, meant to glorify him. 
But what Jesus is reminding us here today, what he's asking is not what we do or what things we give or, or what we, you know, participate in, but he's asking who we are. Whose we are. Where we belong. You might like playing basketball, but you are not basketball. I know some of you think you are, but you're not. You might be good at studying and getting good grades, but you are more than just your school and grades. You can enjoy beautiful music out there, but in God's eyes, you are beautiful and you are so precious to him more than any song that could ever be sung. You are made in his image. You bear his likeness. And in Jesus Christ, now, because of what he's done on the cross, you are his beloved son and daughter, and you have a father in heaven who loves you and cares for you and has given all that he has for you. And as such, that means you belong to him. You belong with him. The world in which you live has a lot of great things that you can enjoy and participate in, but only for a while. But you are a child of God destined to be with him for an eternity. Commitment then, what is that? It's not about what you do first. Okay, I'm committed, what do I do? No, commitment is first remembering who you are and then being wise enough to prioritize everything else we do in church and outside the church. And in the church, the priority is not to do something for him. But the church is a place where you hear and you are reminded what God has done for you. How Jesus is still there working in your life, even though life sounds like crap to you right now and it feels bad and hard and nothing's going right, that you are reminded he is still there working in your lives. You are reminded his promises that even when you feel like you're a failure and that you've messed up in school or friendships or home or even in church and you feel broken or you feel hurt, he promises you ultimately better. In the church is a place where you hear you are welcome no matter what. That you are part of that family. That you belong here even if you don't fit in anywhere else in the world out there. Even when all the Caesar things, all the world things fail you. Here, in the family of God, you will always belong. Always be loved by his grace and in Christ. And here, God will always tell you who you are and who you belong to. So let's do what Psalm 37.5 says. Commit. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do all this. Joshua, Lindsay, this is just the beginning of your faith and your walk. And along the way, you may stumble and you might struggle. It's okay. I still struggle, and I still doubt and question many ways. But keep learning, keep listening, just keep trusting, keep openness, keep rejoicing in the God who says he loves you and he'll go with you wherever you go. And by God's grace, may it always be so for all of us today. Let's pray.